Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts, from top marketers and CEOs, to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and today I had the pleasure of talking to Melanie Murphy, the Marketing Director of Royal Academy of Dance. The Royal Academy of Dance uh, has a patron, um, which is the Queen, no less. It's a global organisation with 14,000 members in 83 countries. They are a dance and education organisation that have been in existence for over 100 years. And Melanie's challenge is to change an age-old approach of communication to be more up-to-date with a new audience using new technology to harness the ability to engage and interact in a slightly different way and... Specifically today we talk about uh, the power of emotional triggers to conjure memories um, of nostalgia. And as we've discussed previously on the show, nostalgia is an extremely powerful emotion to harness in your communications if you can. Melanie also gives us advice on soliciting and using stories told by your customers. And then why and how to dig deeper in our search for compelling stories. This episode gives us a slightly different insight than usual into how to use the power of story in um, a results-focused marketing funnel using emotion as a powerful tool to get where we need our business to be. Hello and welcome to another show, everybody. This week, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by uh, Melanie Murphy, the Marketing Director of Royal Academy of Dance. Hi, Melanie. Thanks for joining me today and welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Melanie, I've I've been really looking forward to talking to you today. Um, Slightly different type of of guest on on the show, different type of storyteller, which is always good. Melanie, can you start by telling us a little bit about Royal Academy of Dance and what the organisation does? Sure. We're a bit of a hybrid organisation, quite complex organisation. So we're global. We uh, operate in 83 countries around the world. Um, We're a registered charity. Um, Our patron is the Queen. (laughs) <laughs> um, and we're, we're heading towards our centenary in, in 2020. So, uh, you know, a long history and heritage. Um, but we are a professional membership body. Um, we're also an exam board. So we have our own uh, classical ballet syllabus and exams delivered all around the world. Um, we're also a higher education institute. Uh, and we have um, a commercial enterprise um, that gifts a, gift aids its profits to the charity. So we're quite a hybrid and complex organisation. <laughs> <laughs> right, it certainly sounds certainly sounds so. So not many organisations can say that their patron is the Queen. Is that where the royal bit comes from? Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. It's it's interesting actually because it's uh, obviously the Queen's ninetieth birthday yeah, yeah. year, um, and it's really just dawned on us as an organisation that we can say that we're older than the longest reigning monarch. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, 
I want to talk to you about storytelling today, obviously, um, and how it's used throughout your organisation. Now, from a dance perspective, I guess people could be forgiven for thinking it might be a challenge to relate storytelling within dance, given there's no words in, um, in, in the performance. However, I suspect it's quite the opposite, actually. Is, is that right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, yes, there are no words, but um, there was a great interview, actually. Um, our, our, our former president, uh, Dame Antoinette Sibley, who was in, in her day uh, a, a prima ballerina, gave a really lovely interview um, in The Guardian at the weekend um, because it was the uh, four, 400th anniversary of the death of Shakespeare. Okay. Um, and ballet in particular has a, a really strong t- tradition of um, storytelling and you know, narrative ballets. And a number of Shakespeare's plays have been reinvented um, and staged as ballets and um, something that she said was just really lovely the steps say the words and and everything about dance really um, aligns itself with storytelling um, in, in dance you talk about a movement vocabulary um, phrases sort of movement phrases and and we always talk about dance as being um, you know the language of the body and something that transcends uh, transcends words in a way. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Actually, the relating to Shakespeare um, and uh, listening to I've interviewed Robert McKee now a couple of times, and he talks about um, you write a good story doesn't have words. You 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 add the words at, at, at the end. Um, does that kind of equate to watching a dance performance? Would you say? I think so. Um, one of the biggest challenges that that um, the dance industry has, and and ballet in particular, is that um, those that haven't already engaged with it or or aren't fans already find it, you know, quite elitist. Mm. Um, But I think when when they use the term elitist, I think it's because they feel excluded from it. It can be difficult to understand. Um, But there's a a great choreographer, um, Sir Matthew Bourne, and he always places storytelling at the heart of, of, of dance. And again, he, he has, has often said that he imagines, um, you know, a person in sitting in the audience and before the curtain comes up, they don't know anything. And, and his job is to ensure that um, they, they understand the story. And he always says that you know, within the audience, there will be people who know that dance piece um, and will be able to relate to it and appreciate the differences that he's brought to it. And there'll also be um, somebody who, you know, has never seen a dance piece before. And he very much keeps both of those audiences in mind so that he can focus on good storytelling. That's a really nice way of putting it, isn't it? Um, because, yeah, I can see how it, it could be perceived to be elitist. and the, But the job is um, to guide somebody, guide the audience, whoever they are, whatever their sort of knowledge of, of dance is, um, is through an emotional experience, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it, absolutely. It, it, and dance, um, it, these stories, they do move people. It is an emotional experience, isn't it? Is that one of the biggest selling points, would you say? It, it's difficult, actually, because it wasn't until I was preparing for this um, that I, I, I've sort of noticed that there's a, there's a big trend at the moment. Um, you know, dance companies are 
all over the world are favoring the narrative ballets. So there are sort of two two types. There's the narrative storytelling ballets, so you know, Sleeping Beauty, Romeo and Juliet, Giselle, um, and then you have the, the sort of more abstract um, pieces and choreographers. And all over the world, the, the sort of the repertoire that ballet that dance companies are choosing um, tends to be now these stories. And I think it must be because it is much easier to connect with an audience um, if you if you're telling a story that they can understand and relate to. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, I mean that makes that makes sense. Um, that's, that's interesting. And is it one of your challenges specifically making it more inclusive and um, open to to bigger audiences? Is it the sort of commerciality and the the appetite to build an audience that you think is behind that? Well, we have a number of challenges because you know we aren't a dance company, so we are not creating new works. We're not staging. Um, big performances. Obviously, performance is is a big part of the, the work that we do. But at our core, we are training dance teachers, um, and you know they in turn are, are, are training um, dance students who ultimately will become the the next uh, you know principal ballerina or, or principal dancer. Um, so it's quite easy for us to forget to talk about dance (laughs) and to put that at the heart of everything we do because you know the day-to-day life and challenges of a dance teacher um and they you know they're our our core the core of our audience um isn't about staging isn't about performance necessarily uh it's about you know managing their studios and running a business and remembering to do their continuing professional development um so we actually have to work really hard to keep dance at the center of of what we do um (laughs) it it sounds funny but it it is actually quite challenging sometimes no to be honest i think you've just described um the sort of abcs of of a lot of um, challenges that businesses face when you're inside something and you know the building blocks and you know the um the sort of mechanical aspects that you that you need to sort of deliver you know not not focusing or sort of being distracted from focusing on the magic that you're actually selling and the sort of um you know the 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 emotive aspects of of what you do is you know i think i think that's a challenge that marketers face all the time yeah but but you've got you're a global brand um and despite the sort of potential for it being perceived elitist i would imagine given what you've just said about um, teachers and that kind of stuff, you've got quite a diverse audience in some respects. So so what attracts people to your organisation currently and what has been the story you've used to grow the community thus far? Well, obviously, you know, we, we, we touched on the fact that we're a royal academy. Mm, that's um, got to help. <laughs> um, yeah, well, absolutely. You know, certainly the prestige and the reputation that the Royal Academy of, of Dance has built up over um, many decades um, is is a strong a strong factor. Um, as I said, we have our own classical ballet syllabus, and that is generally uh, recognised as um, you know one of, if not the best, ballet syllabus throughout the world. Um, but more recently, we've 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 sort of taken a, a different tack, and um, we've started to make our members much more the heroes of, of of our brand. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, why why have, why have you why have you transitioned into into that? 
Well, because I'll, I'll give you an example. Billy Elliot is, um, you know, whether you're, you, you know dance and you follow dance, everybody has either seen the film Billy Elliot or, you know, the musical. Uh-huh. Um, but I bet you, you can't tell me the name of Julie Walters' character. So she's the teacher in the film. Um, you would win that bet. I haven't got a call. <laughs> <laughs> but I could ask that question to, you know, most people and they, then they wouldn't know. Um, just out of interest, her, her name's Mrs. Wilkinson, but she's, she's the dance teacher. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was sort of a recognition that da- dance teachers are the unsung heroes of the dance profession. Um, you know, nobody makes it to principal dancer status without... Um, a lot of help and you know dance teachers generally are that guiding hand Mm -hmm. Um, but it's easy to sort of forget the role that they play and it's also as I said easy for us as a brand to forget to talk about dance as the uh, you know the main the main factor Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also easy to forget as I said yet they're they're, they're the unsung heroes of the dance industry Um, and they are the what connects us uh, you know at the grassroots to the dance profession and so we've decided that we really need to shine a spotlight on them make them feel like the heroes um, and let them tell their stories okay well before we dive into exactly how you're 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 doing that what what have you transitioned from so I think I think shining a light on on your audience and looking for the real heroes is is, is brilliant. But obviously, you're a, a global brand um, already. You you put on performances all, all around the world. Um, you have to market these, and you've achieved so much over a hundred year period. What what's been the the central narrative you've used to get to get this far? Just so we can give some context to the transition. Um, I think we focused very much on our history and our heritage and our reputation, uh, but without acknowledging how we got there. So I think that's the difference. Um, You know, it's it's easy to trot out, you know, facts and figures. um, And, you know, we've been doing that. You know, we've got 250,000 young people taking our exams all over the world every year. Um, and we, we've got, we're very lucky that we've got this long history and heritage to draw from. We've got archives full of amazing footage and photographs. And so we've, 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 that's been our storytelling. You know, we've drawn on our history and our heritage and reinforced the reputation that we've had. Um, but I think we've failed to acknowledge how we built up that reputation. Yeah. Um, and how we built up that reputation was through our, our membership, through our teachers, through our examiners. Um, you know, again, it's it's easy to forget that a brand is actually just a collection of really passionate people. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And if you don't tell those stories, then, um, you know, how can you be authentic as a brand? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know we were talking about this offline just before the show started I'm really interested in this transition <clears throat> so uh, it, it's occurred to me just listening to you there how, how much of the transition um, that you're embarking on now is a realization that there's an opportunity to shine the spotlight on um, the real heroes in your in your community and how much of it is um, 
reacting to social media and technology and also new expectations of an audience is, is that is that part of the mix as well I think so yes um I mean you know you can ask the question how important is it that your audience is part of the brand or mm. um you know how do you bring the audience into the brand well they've already inserted themselves into the brand <laughs> um and you know social media has amplified that so you you know you can't ignore it um but you can embrace it yeah um so i think it's been it was partly a strategic decision um and 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 partly organic i suppose yeah okay okay I mean... and we're still very much at the start of of this journey um so we've got you know still a lot of plans to put into place and and a lot of learnings to come i'm sure absolutely and you know that's um the same can be said for for any brand but it's interesting with with a hundred years heritage and a very strong story the brand has been the hero thus far and it's been broadcast and it's it's worked but now you're talking about turning the tables making your audience and your community looking for the heroes there so just talk us through the the transition that your brand is currently um working towards and I think you said the the project name is is my dance is that right yes yeah and this is a really interesting one because you know total honesty um it was sort of a light bulb moment um that actually happened between two people in my team when I wasn't even in the room um <laughs> where they happened to be looking at a publication upside down <laughs> and the if you you know, if you place Royal Academy of Dance, if you place the words in a particular way, um, the MY of Academy and Dance, you can sort of shine a spotlight on my dance. And they suddenly saw that. Um, and we all started to talk about, you know, what significance that might have. Um, and, and literally out of that, we you know, we came up with an entire campaign, which we're now, um, you know, rolling out both internally and externally. And, and it, you know, it's quite simple. It's just, you know, the Royal Academy of Dance is, as I said, in 83 country, different countries. Um, because we're such a hybrid organisation, you can line up, you know, five people in a room uh, and ask them to explain what the Royal Academy of Dance is and what it does. And they will give you undoubtedly five different answers really? they'll all be correct um but it's because you know they they might be at different stages in their life um, might have slightly different interests so they'll be engaging with us in one very specific and personal way but that is their understanding of the royal academy of dance so our concept was there's you know only one royal academy of dance but it means many many different things to many different people and rather than trying to um you know change those perceptions necessarily um we wanted to capitalize on them um so you know it's fine that the royal academy of dance means different things to different people um, but if we share those stories and those experiences, then there are as many people that will connect with them and think, oh, yes, I've, had, I've shared that experience. I've shared that um, emotion. Um, you know, I feel the same when I take an exam. Um, there will be, 
you know, other people who think, oh, I didn't realize they did that. You know, to me, the Royal Academy of Dance means X. I didn't realize they did Y and Z. Um, and so we've, we've just decided to sort of embrace that. Um, <laughs> sometimes when, I, when I, I've been talking about this internally and it sounds a little bit lazy as a marketer sometimes because it's almost like we've, we've said, oh, we're a complex organization. It's very difficult to explain to people succinctly what we do. So we're not going to, we're stopping trying. <laughs> we're actually now just going to let other people's stories tell our story. But it's very powerful because, you know, it, it's unhumbling because you realize the impact that um, an organization like ours, a, a brand can have on, on people's lives. Um, you know, a very simple level but sometimes it can be transformative you know dance can be a transformative experience uh, absolutely I'm, I'm i'm sure i mean on one hand i'm thinking wow that's an incredibly brave thing to do uh, a very sort of contemporary modern approach to um, brand storytelling because you are literally giving the power to, to your audience and um you've you've no control over what what comes back I guess um, but on the other hand you know we talk about voice of the customer we talk about empathy um, has there been any surprises with um, with some of the stories that have come back from your audience absolutely um, there's yeah I, I, yes I've got one really simple example actually um, as a as an exam board um, we sort of pride ourselves that you know an exam taking place at the Royal Academy of Dance in London um, will look and feel in terms of the format and, and, and what the candidates go through as an exam taking place in the Philippines in um, you know, much sort of humbler surroundings. It's, this should be the same experience. Um, and we've worked really hard over the years to try and modernise the view of, of exams. Um, you know, exams is quite hard you know, an exam as a concept, as a product, it's quite a, a difficult thing to sell. <laughs> yeah, can imagine. Um, because, you know, you don't look forward to taking an, an exam, do yeah. you, regardless of what it is. Um, and over the years, we've had stories of, um, you know, examiners, our examiners are scary. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the images and the stories that have come back related to exams have, haven't always been uh, hugely positive, and they certainly haven't used the language that, we would want to use in talking about them and, and selling them, I guess. Um, and and one of the one of the one of the associations that um, everybody seems to have with exams is is a bell. A bell. Uh, so yes, it's really quite an archaic um, thing that 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 we do, I guess, um, and something that we probably would have not highlighted um internally we've been talking about phasing it out so when an examiner is ready for the candidates um she he or she will will ring a bell (laughs) um and and, you know you're you're laughing it it is a little bit laughable and and it is quite an archaic process um and but it's happened you know since the beginning of of time in, so, in, in RAD terms. So just to be clear, when you're talking about exam, I imagine sat down with a pen and writing something, but you're talking about there's a performance in front of Yes, people. absolutely. So oh um, candidates will, will go in um, in sort of twos or fours. Um, examiner is sort of sat 
So they'll go into a studio, a dance studio. Examiner will be sat sort of at the the um, front or back of the studio, mm-hmm. um, behind a desk, and they will um, watch the performance, as mm-hmm. as you put it. But obviously, it's it's set exercises, yeah. um, and they they mark you know what they see against um, a, a very clear criteria. Right. Okay. That. So that sound of the bell, that sounds, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> well, yes. And, you know, it, it, and in this day and age, the, the thought of an examiner ringing a bell to signal that, you know, they're ready for the candidates to come in, it, it seemed like something that um, we should stop doing. <laughs> um, you know, we needed to come up with something, you know, fresh. Um, but what we've realized is that, um, you know, the world over, it's actually something very nostalgic. Mm, So, you know, I can go into, you know, a networking meeting and um, there is almost certainly always one person who will say, you know, when I introduce myself and say where I work, will say, oh, yes, you know, I did RAD up to grade four um, and they will have an exam story or, my, you know, my daughter or son are doing exams now. And the the number of people that talk about the bell, <laughs> in, you know, it's become, it's quite iconic. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, you know, in a really positive way, it's, it's, it's very nostalgic for people. Um, so we've actually championed the bell, <laughs> unbelievably, in, in a kind of very visual sense. Um, and made that a central part of our kind of visual um, campaign in relation to my dance. So we've embraced the bell instead of uh, getting rid of the bell. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like it should be on a T-shirt somewhere, embrace yes. the bell. But, you know, it's, you've hit upon something there. You know, nostalgia is incredibly powerful with storytelling, um, and the bell, as you described it, that is, um, it's almost like a... a an emotional trigger for yes. you know to, to you know do you find that it sort of floods back stories if you you mention the bell to, to people who've taken been through that experience yeah absolutely or you know they will start with they'll start their own story almost unprompted yeah. with the sound of the bell yeah. um and as i said it's not you know all the the research um and the data-driven insight we wouldn't I don't think we would have found out and pinpointed the significance of the bell um, had we not just been asking people to relay their stories. Yeah, and, and just, just listened. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting as well because I guess um, that's something that bonds the sort of 83 countries that you do this in. Jeez, I, I couldn't name 83 countries. That's insane. <laughs> Please don't ask me to. <laughs> I certainly won't. Okay, wow, that's that's brilliant, Mel. It sounds like you've got some really interesting interesting times ahead, and you've, you're on this sort of transitional journey of um, almost going from broadcast brand storytelling to very interactive and engaging. Um, and I, I wonder if we can finish up today with giving us your sort of top three tips, if you like, because it, it's it, it sounds like. It sounds like you're certainly going through a process where, you, where you're learning about your audience all the time, and I think our audience listening would be really interesting. So, can I can I ask you to give us some um, some tips for uh, anyone who would like to embrace your type of storytelling? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I think self-control <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is, is one, is one tip. Um, you know, obviously, and it, and it links into authenticity. So it, obviously stories need to be authentic to make an, an emotional connection. But when you are, when story is about your brand, um, there's an urge to tweak, <laughs> to tweak <laughs> a certain word, um, you know, so that it's more on message. Um, and you just can't do that. You have to, you know, you have to let that person's story be, be their story because it is coming from a, a place of, you know, loyalty or passion or joy. Um, and you have to trust that that sentiment will, will come through. Even if, you know, there are a couple of words that you would never write if this was your own sort of copy. Um, so, yeah, I think I think t- in order to allow the stories to be authentic, you have to exercise some self-control. Wow, that's, um, that's, that's, really, that's really cool. And I guess if you are using the actual words that your audience use, it's quite likely that more people in your audience... Um, we'll use the same words and and it'll resonate more as well, I guess. Absolutely. absolutely. Okay, cool. What else you got? Um, I think curiosity. Um, Obviously, good storytelling taps into people's curiosity. Um, But as a, you know, as a brand, we have to stay curious. So digging deeper um, into the stories and drilling down into into the sentiment. Um, if you do that, you'll almost certainly find something unexpected. Um, as I said, you know that the research and, and data driven insight wouldn't necessarily uncover. Um, you know, so so yeah, find find the bell, <laughs> find the the bell in your brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have just found the title of this uh, episode. <laughs> Fantastic. That's really cool. Brilliant. And uh, okay, so self-control and curiosity. And what's your final uh, tip for the audience? I think surprise. Um, you know, when, and, and you know, as I've said, we're, we're still very much at the beginning of this journey. Um, but we set out to not just you know, reinforce our kind of brand values and ethos. But we set out to challenge our audiences, well, challenge and surprise our audiences' perceptions of us. Um, But I think, you know, as a brand, you have to let yourself be surprised and challenged. Um, And and then take that to heart and do something with it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think we necessarily expected to be as surprised or challenged, um ourselves as as we we have been so far um and i'm sure that we will be throughout the process um and uh, yeah i think those are those are those are my my three tips i think the other thing that i would say is that um we we also took it made a deliberate decision to include our staff you know our employees in this process that's one of the things that maybe has surprised me personally the most um is how you know the the stories that came from our our staff have actually been some of them the most engaging um possibly because you know you it's easy to pigeonhole people that you work with uh you know sally works an exam go-to person if you want quick information um but suddenly you, you you see this person in a new light 
when you understand why they work here um, and, and what drives them and what their connection to dance is. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's something that um, we talk about all the time. It's, it's, it's usually a, a sort of hidden gold mine. actually, is just talking to the people around you. And it's amazing what your um, perceptions of people um, can, can prohibit you actually doing, you know. So um, it's interesting asking different questions and engaging the people around you. I, I, guess, um, I guess you could be surprised all the time. Is the key then reacting and being brave enough to react and run with what you find as a, a consequence of being surprised? <laughs> I think so. Yes, um, you know we're as I keep saying we're we're we're, we're still at the beginning of this, um, and but it's it's certainly there are some interesting and difficult conversations to be had internally as a result of um, you know what some of the, the just the small things that we've already found out or realised, um, and yes, so I think you do have to be brave. And have those difficult conversations, um, and do something with the information. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's um, it's definitely a sign that you're moving in the right uh, in the right direction. If it does create uh, and evoke difficult conversations, that's the you know that's that's the sign of people getting out of the comfort zone. Certainly in the place that you're operating in social media and being very honest with uh, the conversations that you're having. So, Melanie, if we can, um, if I want to give the final word to you, if um, if if you could uh, direct us to where we could see some of this storytelling in action, that would be great. And then, if there's anything you want to leave us with, the floor is yours. Uh, well, I, as I said, you know, when I meet new people and I say where I work, um, it, it always astounds me how many people have. Uh, a related story to tell. So um, go to our website, www.rad.org.uk, um, and uh, the My Dance stories, um, or you know, you can find them there. But I would, you know, challenge your audience to share their stories with with us. Um, we've created a hashtag, which is just hashtag My Dance. Um, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, share your my dance story with us because we yeah. really love to hear from you. Cool, and I think if anybody out there has experienced the bell, please do engage. I would love to be responsible. Um, I'd love this show to be responsible for contributing towards the nostalgia of the bell. I've certainly learned something today. Melanie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for your your time. I know the audience are really going to enjoy this this episode. Thanks very much. No, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome. That's it for another show, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, If you have, don't forget to subscribe and uh, share and recommend. And, um, And the final word has got to be, remember the bell. So that's it for another week. But before you go, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And for a chance to win a copy of our best-selling book, Getting Goosebumps, simply subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tweet us your thoughts using hashtag Getting Goosebumps. Would you like to pick the next guest? Let me know who you'd love to hear on the show by emailing me at brian at ph-creative.com.